This is Two Girls, One Mike, the show that talks about the holes and plot holes of your favorite porn. Welcome to Two Girls, One Mike, the porn cast where when we say we're in a weird place right now, we mean your house. I'm your co-host, Alice Vaughn, and with me is my gorgeous co-host today, Kate Kennedy. Kate, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for starting late for me, guys. I had to drop off the guy I hooked up with last night, so... That's really nice of you. I know. Well, he was on America's Next Top Model, so I feel like the least I could do is drop him back off at the studio. Was he a reject? Uh, he didn't win, but, I mean, he was on the show. You have to be a certain level of hot to even get on the show, I feel like. What she's not saying is he was actually a production assistant on America's Next Top Model, so it's <laughs> <laughs> not quite the same as the contestant, but we understand. I would totally fuck a production assistant. I'm not above that. Technically, he fucked a production assistant because I used to be a production assistant. So well, there you go. I used to work yeah. at a tanning salon. Anybody else have a fetish out there for that? Uh, hit me up. You weirdly look like you would have worked at a tanning salon. I could completely see that. It was my first job when I moved to California. Oh my God. That's like such a classic first California job. I know, right? It's like you couldn't get enough vitamin D up north. So you came down and were like, give it all to me. Yeah, I checked people in, and then when they left, I had to wipe their disgusting fucking sweat out of the bed, and then I had to do that all day. And then sometimes I'd forget, because back then things weren't automated, and I'd forget to fucking tell them when their time was up, because it didn't do it automatically, and people would come out, and they were all red and angry, and I'd be like, hey, uh, I got distracted over here talking to this pretty girl that's waiting for her turn, but uh, I'm I'm sure that won't turn into melanoma. We're good. Just give him a good slap on the back. Yeah. Ooh, first jobs. Those suck. I worked at a mall as my first job. Nothing too interesting. One of those, like, actually going back to models, I, I used to do one of those shitty jobs where it was like, your kid's so cute, they can model. And here's basically a place where you can overpay for baby photos and glamorous headshots. Yeah, you're, you people are terrible. You you attacked me in a mall once when I was there with my daughter when she was very young. You gave me that same speech and I fell for it. It was really unfortunate. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I paid like $300 like- for photos and like, oh, you're going to have, and we have access to all these different <sighs> agents and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that just sounds fantastic. And then nothing. My mom never fell for that. She's like, these kids aren't that cute. <laughs> Half the time I ask people, please put down a fake number. Yeah, right. Just make it look good to the uh, people that are back at the kiosk. I think I only worked there six months. My first job was at a little used bookstore because I'm literally just like an extra in a Zoe Deschanel movie. My whole life is adorable. (laughs) It was really cute. All I did was like stack books and then I got fired because I didn't sell any of them. I would just read them. And then if I got lazy, I would just like put them in a box. How many fucking John Grisham novels are we going to move this month? I don't really think these need to be alphabetized. The guy's written like 4,000 books anyway. Oh, yeah. I think at some point it doesn't even really matter, you know? No, and that's all that people bring in is like Nora Roberts, John Grisham, fucking Nicholas Sparks. <laughs> that was fun. The store's still there. It's in my hometown. That's nice. I mean, you rarely see, you know, independent bookstores still open nowadays. Yeah, my hometown's really cute. They have one of those like artisanal ice cream shops and they have a coffee shop slash fixie bike repair place now. So you can get coffee and get your really in practical bike serviced at the same time. And next to that, you can go and rent a VHS copy of Titanic, which I think is exciting. So, I'm so rude. I never introduced you, Mike. Right. I figured people would figure it out by now, right? (laughs) 
Maybe. Uh, so that third voice you guys are hearing is adult film director Mike Quasar. Adult film legend director Mike Quasar. Is anybody in porn really a legend? I mean, be honest. I don't think so. Very few are, but I think you might be one of them. Actually, Alice was so excited to have you as a guest on this. Well, it's because I've heard your name come up so many times in two ways. Number one, Mike Quasar is awesome. And then number two, Mike Quasar always underbids himself for films. Part two of that is exactly true. Uh, part one, I think, may be an exaggeration. So I'll just, I'll leave it at that. Everybody likes Quasar. He's like the one director where you can guarantee you will be offset at this time. Whenever I was working for Quasar, I'd be like, oh, I have a two o'clock call time. I was like, I will definitely be free for dinner at six. Thank you so much. You, would have, you could have actually gone to an early dinner by four in most cases. I factored in time to shower, but I brought my own towel because he makes that very clear on the call sheet. Towels are not provided. They are well because here's the thing: when you shoot 400 scenes a month, if I had Holy to provide towels, if I had to provide towels too, I'd just be doing laundry every fucking minute that I wasn't on set. So yes, please bring your own towel. I mean, that would actually be a fantastic way to launder money. No pun intended. Mm. If you want it to. Yeah, I think I might have to pretty soon, but we'll see what happens. There's a lot of laundry involved in porn. I feel like people don't always understand that. That was another shitty job I had. I used to have to wash the towels and the bedding from the model room at the first place there. I know. I'd have to wash all the towels. Good Lord, that's a horrible guy. I, yeah, that was a shitty job. I was just the only one that I think knew how to use the washing machine. So like... Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. skilled skilled labor. What can you say? Skilled labor. I also cleaned the bathrooms. Like, I, I have a high gross-out tolerance though, so... Mm. That didn't bother me too bad. Mike, how the hell did you get into porn directing? Well, it's a long, sad tale. I <laughs> Give me the saddest parts. Well, I'll try and encapsulate it for you. I, um, uh, After working at the tanning salon, uh, well, I, I moved here from Canada with a bunch of other people that ended up in porn too. We met a girl that was in the pornographic film industry. And when we got to LA, we met her actually in Canada. And we got to LA, we went to a pay phone and called her. It was pay phones back then. And uh, she answered the phone, which people would often do back then. There was no texting. So if the phone rang, you had to pick it up, right? Otherwise, you'd never hear from your mother again. Um, so uh, one thing led to another, and um, they let us stay with them. And there were five of us, so that was very generous of them. I got the job at the tanning salon. And then one day, my friend Matt, Holder, who's also a camera guy, a director, camera guy, mostly a camera guy. He doesn't want the responsibility of directing. I don't blame him. Uh, in the industry, he called me one day and said, uh, hey, the PA didn't show up on set. Do you want to come down and be a PA? And I'm like, I don't know what, what a PA is, but does it pay money? If it does, I'll come down. I did. I went down there and he said, here's how it works in porn. Like the director that was on because we were very young. So this guy was older. He was probably 30. Anyway, uh, he said, if you do a good job, people will just keep hiring you, right? Like the person that didn't show up, fuck that person. If you can do a better job than that person, you'll be the one that we call. So Anna, I ended up being the one that they called. So I was working as a PA for a while. And then it occurred to me that the scripts that we were shooting were uh, insulting to human intelligence. So I happened to ask one day, who writes these scripts? Didn't want to insult the man. I'm just like, uh, they seem a little uh, light on plot. And he said, uh, he says, oh, I write them. I fucking hate doing it. And I said, well, uh, I give it a shot if you want. And he said, really? You can write? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I, I also have opposable thumbs. This is not a hard thing to do. Uh, and then uh, I said, how much does a thing like that pay? 
and he said it paid $250 for a script. Now, at the time, I made about $250 a month. So to make $250 to churn out some garbage in an hour seemed wildly exciting. Then after that, I started to really realize that a lot of people that work in the adult film industry aren't that smart. So I thought, uh, I'm pretty smart, and I'm going to try and see where the... Now, keep in mind, I was also in a band at the time, and we were trying to get a record deal and be famous. So this was all just sort of like over here, like I'll do this until I become famous and, you know... That's still going to happen. It totally is. I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm 51 now, so I've... I feel like sometime between now and death, I'm going to get a record deal. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Alice, when the, the pandemic is over and you're in L.A., we'll have to go to one of Mike's shows because they actually are really fun shows with his band. Yeah. A lot of fun. I didn't realize you still play. I absolutely want to go. Oh, it's so fun. Yes. I'm in a great uh, super gay punk band called The Cox. And uh, all of our songs have uh, to do almost primarily with the promiscuous gay intercourse. My favorite one is Cheeseburgers and Dick. Cheeseburgers and Dick is a big hit. All of those songs are on Spotify. If you look up The Cox or on Apple Music or anywhere or on YouTube, just look up The Cox and uh, and you'll see all kinds. Now, I myself am not a homosexual, but I am not homophobic. So I joined this band with, with great enthusiasm because I saw how clever it was. And I thought, this is something I want to be a part of. So that's that. So, but getting back to the other thing, I became a script writer, then I became the production manager. And then one day the camera guy on the set said, I hurt my back. I can't shoot. This was a guy who sort of mentored me. His name was Phil. I don't remember his last name, but he used to call me son. And he said, son, I need you to shoot camera for me today. And back then cameras were the size of a car. Like they were big things. And I was like 21 years old, 22 years old. And I'm like, uh, yeah, okay, I can do that. I had no idea how to do that, but I, I did it and I shot my first movie in 1992. And I remember what it was called. It was called the Howard sperm show. And then after that, all of a sudden people were calling me going, uh, Hey, I hear you shoot camera. And I'm like, I, I do. I mean, yes, yes, I do. Of course I do. How much does that pay? And that paid like $400. So now it's going to be in another couple of years, I'll just be ready to retire because I'm making so much money. Uh, as it turns out, that has not happened. And uh, I'm still here doing this. But uh, anyway, that's how the humble beginnings. Oh, and then uh, and then grunge came in and wiped out the entire LA music scene. And I was left despondent and alcoholic and uh, desperately trying to look for an escape out of the adult film industry. But I never found one. And I'm still here now. So uh, that's my story. Almost 30 years next year. Be 30 years. Yeah. Not, uh, I guess that's either a badge of honor or just a, a mark of shame. Not sure, really. At what point during this saga were you doing stand-up? Because I do want to discuss this, too, because Mike used to do stand-up as well. You also used to do stand-up. What can't he do? Well, I can't do stand-up, clearly, because I wasn't <laughs> able to succeed at it. So, no, I was doing that sort of like during the parallel period of like, by like 1995, I had been working in porn for, you know, like four years, almost five years. And I'm like, I don't want to get stuck here. Like, I got to pursue my other things, right? And uh, the music thing seemed to have sort of, L.A. was dead. So I started doing stand-up because comedy was still very vibrant in L.A. during the 90s. And so I did it for a while. And it became both the most fulfilling thing I've ever done and also the most painful sorrow I've ever felt, right? And so there was no middle ground for me. It was either euphoria or I'll be in my apartment with a bottle of fucking white label rum for days. You won't hear from me. I'm probably not dead and I'll emerge from this. But so so I gave it a break for a while. Then around 2000, I went back 
and same thing happened. I, I kind of pursued it for a while and I did some cool shows. I got to play at the improv and I did comedy store and, and uh, the ice house out in Pasadena and a bunch of other places. And, and the same thing was happening. It was like every night that was great was like, this is my calling. This is what I'm going to do. Fuck porn. And every night that was horrible. I'm like, Oh, thank God I can go back to porn. You know? So really if I didn't have porn, I probably would have had no choice but to stick with it. So in many ways, porn has robbed me of everything I ever wanted to do. So uh, not that I'm bitter about that at all. It's my own, my own laziness and shortcomings here, but uh, it is what it is. It seems that it's just been reaffirmed time after time on this show that anyone who does stand-up and does porn, stand-up's always worse. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. way worse. It's way more degrading. Jeez. So much more, yeah. And comedians are the worst people in the world. Like they're horrible, <laughs> self-loathing, <laughs> bitter, jealous, awful people. Just dark souls. No joy whatsoever, you know? Everything on stage is a fucking act. Everything off stage is horrible, harsh truth about the type of people that do stand-up. And everybody's looking for, like, acceptance and validation and all of this stuff that they're lacking in other areas of their life. And it's just so very apparent when you talk to other comedians outside of the realm of the stage that they're just, I'm not surprised that not just in comedy, but specifically as it pertains to that, that people get so depressed that they're just like, fuck it. I'm just going to off myself today. Cause I, again, the highs are high and the lows are like super low. Maybe oh, yeah. a guy like uh, you know, like an everyman comic, like a Jay Leno or somebody that just told sort of middle of the road jokes. And it's like, he's never going to be, you know, I mean, he's a wealthy man and he had a great career. I mean, you have your Robin Williams. He had depression. But that's because Robin Williams was brilliantly, I mean, there's a reason why a lot of people become drug addicts and alcoholics, right? It's because their their emotions are so out of control and overwhelming that when that high goes away from being on stage and getting all that adulation, they don't know how to cope with it, you know? That's true. Also, when things are going well in my life, I'm less funny. Like, if everything is falling apart, like right now, things are going pretty well for me. Uh, like I had sex last night, so things are things are looking up for old Kate Kennedy. And uh, I also bombed last night. I did not do well last night at all. You had no motivation, see? No motivation. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, I feel like that's true of, uh, that's why a lot of people, you know, a lot of bands, like their first record is like the greatest record they ever made. And then when they get rich and famous, they just make garbage because they don't, what do you write about now? You know, I can pay all my bills and I'm so upset. I, you know, like what, there's nothing... Great art comes from great pain. And when you no longer have great pain, what's your source of inspiration, you know? Yeah, that's a great point. What is your source of inspiration at that point? Uh, Alcohol. <laughs> exactly. Drugs. Yeah. I mean, and no one wants to give up the money. No, no. But I have found that alcohol is a worthy... Adversary. No, oh. it's not an adversary. It's a friend, a colleague, uh, a comforter. And it's also secretly wishing you're dead. So it's kind of like being married, you know, because I feel like my sense. wife has, my ex-wife has a lot of the same qualities as whiskey, you know? I can't believe I thought I was going to get through a podcast with Mike Quasar without opening a drink. I'll be right back. Okay, off you go. Oh gosh, Kate. I'll hang here. I just still can't believe you do 400 fucking scenes a month. I do 40. 400 was an exaggeration. Like 40 okay. is still a whole lot. 40 is still a huge amount. It's absurd. I don't enjoy it. I don't want to do 40 scenes a month. I just need money. So He's like the Model T factory of porno. Like you just, just in and out, in and out. How long does one scene normally take to shoot? Two I have hours. no idea. Okay. I do four well, scenes a day, two hours each scene. 
and I want to be out and having dinner somewhere or uh, having a drink somewhere by 7 p.m. So it's very important that everybody's, that's why I lose my fucking mind when people are late because, you know, pe- some people in porn are very responsible. Some people are very lax at day school, sort of la-da-da, la-di-da, because maybe they go and work on other sets where they show up and they wait around, right? Like I've worked for other directors where I'm just like, Dude, get your shit together. I've been here for two fucking hours. We haven't done anything yet. Why Why was my call time 10 o'clock when you guys are still talking about lunch? So for me, my call time is at 10. The next one's at 12.30. The next one's at 2.30. The next one's at 4.30. And everybody has to be on time because that means that we all leave the last scene. Everybody's done by 6.30 and I can get in my car. When people are late, it just creates this cumulative domino effect throughout the day. And then by the last scene, I just want to kill myself because I'm like, I'm so far behind and it's nothing to do with me because I was doing the best of my ability to keep things on track. But when you show up 45 minutes late, which in porn, 45 minutes late isn't even late. But for me, it's extremely late. You know, it really fucks up everything for me. So other than being late, what's the worst thing a performer can do on set? Kate, you already seem to have answers to this. I have so many answers. Please. (laughs) My favorite Mike story is that I got to set one time to do, uh, I think it was like, is it wrong? She's my (laughs) stepmom. And yes, the answer to that is, is uh, it is. (laughs) And uh, I got there and like uh, Mike does a lot of like voiceovers in his porn because it saves production value and it's faster. And I got there and I was like getting ready and he comes up to me and he's like, hey, Kate, can you read this other voiceover the girl before you couldn't read? Yeah, yeah, that happened. (laughs) And so now my voice is in pornos that I am not in. I've done that several times because literally, like, here's the thing. Everybody's somebody's step-sibling or step-something, right? Because porn has no imagination whatsoever anymore. I mean, it's all SEO at this point. That's why all the titles are so uncreative, right? I don't even make porn anymore. I make advertisements, so it doesn't even matter. And I never wanted to be in the advertising business, but here I am. So you can either have an absurd script that somehow tries to establish this taboo relationship, right? And you can spend an hour doing that. Or you could write down a paragraph that says, my stepbrother came back from college and I couldn't believe how much he changed. I was really attracted to him. I wondered if he felt the same way about me. Well, here goes nothing. I'm going to find out. And that's the voiceover. And the next part is uh, she's touching the stepbrother's cock. And he goes, wait a minute, we can't do this. You're my stepsister. And she goes, it doesn't matter. We're not blood related. And then he goes, that's true. I hope mom and dad don't find out. They fuck. 90 minutes later, I give the money and do the whole fucking thing again three more times that day. Then I go home and drink away the pain. So that's where we are now. And then I'm the asshole who watches the porn and I'm like, all right, uh, so in the middle of having her hand stuck in the fucking sink uh, while her stepson is fucking her, she takes her hand out of the sink to remove her top, then puts it back into the sink where it's now restuck. And that is an Alexis Fox porn for anyone curious. That is going to be, I predict this right now, it's already happening. That is going to replace step porn in the next six months, stuck porn. Everything I've had to shoot lately is somebody getting stuck in something under a table, in a washing machine, in a fucking sink. In a, I'm like, and somewhere there are a team of people that are thinking this is a good, and they're all French Canadian, by the way, and they're all <laughs> thinking this is a good idea. 
you know, I got this great idea. Jean-Pierre, listen to me. I got to imagine you are at home and your uh, stepmother, she is uh, pretty hot, right? And then uh, she go to do uh, the laundry and uh, she get her head stuck in there. You got no, uh, you got, you got to help her out, right? And so you are robbing your stepmother, trying to get her out of the washing machine. And she falls backwards right on his cock. And then it's awkward, but uh, they are not blood related. So they go ahead and fuck. Jean-Pierre, you are a genius. Uh, that's Literally, I, I swear that's probably what happens. And those guys are probably making a half a million fucking dollars a year to do that. And I'm I'm sitting here making a lot less than that going, great idea, guys. Uh, I'll get right on it. So, how, wait, how do you choose what to shoot next? Because as you're saying, you're shooting a lot of stuck porn now. So, like, where's this coming from? I know that my bitterness is uh, legendary. It's captivating. It's only because I, I've been doing it so long and I've seen the trends coming and going. It really just comes down to a lot of people are just guessing. Predominantly, the company that I work for, if something worked last month, they're just going to do it again this month. Oh. That's how it gets done, you know? Do it with blondes this time, brunettes this time, Asians this time. It's the same thing. So do they tell you like, hey, we need you to fill like X brackets, like we need X amount of step things, X amount of stuck things? Well, the stuck things are different. The step, There's different types of scenes, right? And I understand how it works. And, and the more I sort of accepted that this is just the way the business is now, I'm actually a little less bitter about it. But some of the things we have to shoot are what are known as ad scenes, right? Ad scenes aren't necessarily about sex at all. They're just something that's going to be distilled down into like a 15 second GIF on Pornhub to make you go, that seems funny. It's always some guy going like that, like somebody's getting caught doing something or somebody's getting stuck or somebody's spying on somebody, you know, and then that is supposed to sort of land and you're supposed to be, you know, as you're scrolling through Pornhub, watching millions of videos for free, that's supposed to catch your attention. You click on that. Somebody gets paid because you clicked on it. And then hopefully you sign up to that site even for a day to see what that's. And then that somebody gets paid from that and so on and so on. Right. But ad scenes are very important in an era where nobody wants to pay for porn because it's the thing that sort of it's the shiny object that makes you click on it. And so even though I'm somewhat resentful that that's, what my career is about now, I also get it. And I'm just happy that I still have a job, quite honestly, you know? So I'm not quite as brazen in my contempt as I was um, because I recognize that I'll soon be completely irrelevant in this business. And uh, I just need to make as much money as I can until that day happens. So, you know, you want me to shoot a girl with her head stuck in a washing machine? I'll fucking do it all day long. You want to shoot? Is it wrong? She's my stepmom, volume 716, with a voiceover going, my stepdaughter was looking at me strangely. At first, I thought I might have had something on my face. Then I realized she was flirting with me. La, 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 la. Now we're looking at each other's vaginas. Okay, good. Let's move on, you know? I just, I wish I still had the same boyish enthusiasm I once had for this industry, but it seems to have left me. Oh man, I, I feel it. Oh man. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I look at these titles and I'm like, all right, how to train. Like I'm look. I was looking at uh, your IMDB page and I was like, all right, who's your daddy? 17. So, I mean, there was, it was captivating one through 16. They had to make a 17. You could scroll my IMDB page for, for days and not reach the end of it. It's absurd. I believe you. I think it's over a thousand movies and that's not even half of them. I promise you. It's crazy. It's weird which ones like end up getting put on IMDb too, because like mine are all super random ones. I think there's like seven or eight, which I obviously did far more than seven or eight scenes during my career. 
but they're just like super random ones. I've like never even, I check it once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I always laugh when I see somebody put out a press release that so-and-so is signed like a deal or something and they're going to make uh, 10 movies this year for whatever company. And I'm like, 10 fucking movies? I made 10 movies literally this month. So I don't know what's worthy of a press release. Uh, the fact that I did 120 well, movies or you did 10, I'm like, all right. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I may as well put out a press release. I woke up this morning. Isn't that amazing? Because quite honestly, at my age, it's unlikely that it's going to continue happening much longer. So... There you should know. be there should be like the Quasar Digest, and it should just be press releases of ate breakfast, put on pants. As you know, I sometimes write my own press releases and put them on Twitter, which I uh, I enjoy doing from time to time. So I mean, anyone could submit a press release to XBiz, so you know this, I know this. Yeah, I just put mine on my Twitter page. The last one I put out was about how I signed an exclusive contract with um, Crown Royal to be my official whiskey. And then as the press release went on at the end, of course, Crown Royal never actually uh, made me any sort of offer. I just decided that the only whiskey I'm going to drink is Crown Royal. So, and I'm actually paying them. So, but it was, you know, it was good fodder for a press release, you know. It's about as relevant as any other porno press release. But have you considered ever like throwing it on like the XBiz site just to see like how far it goes? Even as sort of loose as these EVN XBiz are with posting anything anybody puts out, I think mine might be a little much for them in terms of, you know, they still want to be viewed as a serious, you know, industry journalist, serious industry publication. They can't run my press release about how I, uh, I wrapped principal photography on I swallowed my stepbrother 19 an hour ago, and I'm presently in my car writing the press release as I drive home. I've done that one too, so... Well, worst case, I mean, look, if we ever want to do a bid and assuming no no one from ex-biz or avians listens to this, so maybe they'll forget. You know what? There's enough going on in porn they'll forget. You know what? Let's team up and then, you know, throw some like just a series of fake press releases out for something that'll never happen or occur. That actually is a pretty good idea because, you know, they wouldn't question it for one second. They just immediately just publish and there it is, you know? Yeah, mine is... Some of these are ones that other Kate Kennedys have done. Right. Which is hilarious. I do not remember doing Dixieland... What is this? Dix, oh, Dixieland... Fed, I did do that, actually. That's mine. Never mind. Yeah, girls try anal, families tied, lesbian ang- analingus, where I'm credited as Annie, which is weird, because I don't remember that being my name, but I don't remember much of that. Mommy's girl... Sneaky Sex, Ministry of Evil. I'm proud of that one. Ministry of Evil. Yeah, that one, I got nominated for that one. I got nominated for Best Gangbang this last year for that one. Didn't win. It's unfortunate. I'm going to look at mine right now because there's some on here. Now, you know what really angers me? What? That on like IMDB and the other one, IAFD, Inter- Internet Adult Film Database. Mm-hmm. I always forget about that one. Yeah, I'm listed as both a performer... And a director. Now, well, have you done cameos in your films? Yeah, but like non-sex stuff. I, like, so it counts. Right, but it just it looks weird when I look at it because it looks like you know, like I'm one of those dudes, <laughs> like you know, I got like a POV line or something, you know, and I don't, and I don't want people to think that I do. Just you know, look, if I had a, a giant cock or something, maybe I'd feel different about that. But I don't want, I don't want people to share in my shame. So I, uh, you know, it's just weird that they have me listed as that. But uh, yeah, the amount of movies is is truly just shocking as I scroll through this. They also have a very unflattering picture of me on my IMDb that's like from, I know it's the worst. I'm like in a little sundress because it's definitely from a stepdaughter porno. I'm like 23. 
this little pink dress and I'm like holding it up like, oh, do you see my, un- you see my panties? Just barely. I'm still scrolling and I'm just, I haven't even gotten to the D's yet. Yeah. If you go, if you look at it, it goes back to the first movie I ever directed where somebody actually trusted me with money was in 1993. And that's actually on here. And it was called Cheating Hearts. I have made it, this is a funny story. I don't know if I told this story before, but I'll tell it now just because that reminded me of it. Uh, and this is a free for all, right? So whatever. So way back in the day, I was working on maybe my second or third movie. And the guy that owned the studio was friends with Scott Bayo. you know, like Happy Days, like Joni Loves Chachi, Charles in Shards, right? So he came to set. Uh, so he was on set hanging out. And it was pretty cool, you know, because I grew up, uh, I was a kid in the 70s, so I was a big Happy Days fan. I'm like, fucking Chachi's here. This is unbelievable. So he asked me after we were done, he goes, how do you come up with, like, concepts for the scripts for these movies? Like, he was genuinely interested. And I said, uh, the script does not matter. I could literally write a movie about leprosy and somebody like, okay, go ahead, make a movie about leprosy. And I bet him $50 that I could write a movie about leprosy. And I did. I wrote a movie and it was called Soap Opera Sluts. And every scene ended with the phone ringing and somebody would answer it and go, what do you mean? Why is he in the hospital? Leprosy. And then they'd hang up and it would cut to the next scene. And uh, But Scott Bayo never came back and the motherfucker owes me $50. That's, that's, that's all I want. With interest, that's like maybe $60 now. So, Have you considered ever putting in Easter eggs into any of your films? No. I know. You do so much work that it's. I'm asking you to do Pixar-level work. Well, that's Pixar-level work. And also, when you're watching it for free on Pornhub, you're really looking for an Easter egg at that point. You're just... You know, oh, yeah. Alice is. Yeah. That's how she watches porn. I feel like you're the ultimate porn consumer, Alice, secretly. I mean, I got into this because I was like, shit, the grat and those showers looks great. And I just, I realized I stopped caring about the fucking and I started caring about everything else and the scenery. So it's only because the lighting's good. The grout's actually really gross. Yeah, no, it's flat. It's like when you shoot talent. When you shoot uh, photography, you use a beauty dish. It sort of smooths out all of the flaws. It, it, so that lighting is very flattering for grout, clearly. So, yeah, you know, it's like any of those houses in the valley. If you stare at them too long with your glasses on, you suddenly realize, like, hey, is this made of cardboard? Mm. Like everything is. <laughs> this is gross. Yeah, every place that we shoot in is disgusting. Yep, they're gross. They should all be just fucking flamethrowed and burned to the ground. But, you know, it is what it is. Spread the ashes. Cleanse the earth. What would you say is the worst porn you've probably ever shot? The worst? Because one of my favorites is already your leprosy porn. I'm going to watch that eventually. Uh, the worst thing I've ever shot, there's no question, it was a movie called The Houston 500. Uh-huh. It was um, billed as the world's biggest gangbang. And uh, it was. And it was disturbing. And... Um, I should probably still be in therapy over what I saw that day. So, Houston 500, world's biggest. Look it up. I'm sure it's on Pornhub. Yep. That's a very famous porno. I'm actually surprised you didn't know what this was, Alice. Yeah. You know what? I, no, I didn't hear about this. I've heard of porns where it's like um, women who bang like 100, 200 men at a time and whatnot. That's what this was. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was this? Okay. Yeah. Maybe I was thinking about a different one. I was. I remember talking to Jasmine St. Clair about one she did where she yeah, was like- Yeah, she did the one previous to the Houston 500. Jasmine St. Clair, she only had 80 guys, if I'm not mistaken, which is still a lot of guys. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but the Houston 500, we had 180 guys. We said it was 500 just because 
play on the title. Her name was Houston. Instead of saying the Indy 500, we called it the Houston 500, right? But it was 180 guys that like did like three turns. Some of the most disturbing stuff that was in that video. I love how we talk about this now. Like it's like classic rock. It's like, hey, remember that Zeppelin album that had that? Yeah. Um, remember the Houston 500? Anyway, uh, there were guys that in the middle of this ordeal with this horrible stew of humanity just surrounding this poor woman uh they would actually go down on her which i was just like whoa that's that's pushing the that's not even pushing the envelope that's literally mailing it like (laughs) next day slobbering all over it literally get that glue nice and tacky Mm -hmm. i've i've never been more uncomfortable than that sentence i think we found finally something that like makes me cringe for to my core yeah i like that you're hiding behind your microphone yeah (laughs) it was a terrifying experience it really was as uh, like uh, what do you even test for at that point well that was the weird thing because this was back when aim was our primary testing facility and you know obviously these 180 guys weren't in the business some of them were but most of them were just people off the street so they had to get tested so we had we had to like check everybody in and give them a wristband Otherwise, people would just show up with a fucking shopping cart and be like, yeah, I'm going to be doing some fucking today. You know, so we had to exclude those people. So it was a whole big I mean, it cost a fucking a lot of money, too. I think it cost about one hundred thousand dollars to shoot that thing. Mike, what are your feelings about forty dollar ring lights? Can't you get them for ten bucks? Well, yeah, you can. But I feel if you're going to invest in a ring light, you should spend more than forty dollars. I mean, at least go for the ninety-nine dollar ring light. I feel like uh, I don't know what difference that is there is between the forty dollar one and the ninety-nine dollar one. But uh, oh, I just meant in general because I've been seeing you on Twitter shooting some OnlyFans. Yeah, uh, so people that don't actually need me to shoot their OnlyFans, but they're friends of mine, and for some reason they think I can bring something to their OnlyFans that they're not able to do themselves, which is a complete fallacy. I actually make it worse because here's the thing. You have a ring light and you put your phone in it on the little holder that it comes with and you hit your little button and then you lay back on your bed or your chair or whatever and you pretend that you're somebody's fucking stepmother or somebody's boss or somebody has a small cock and they want you to tell them how small their <laughs> cock is, you know? But nothing changes as far as the shot, right? So it's just a phone and a ring light. So, for example, like Julianne, one of my best friends in the whole world, she'll be like, I need you to shoot my OnlyFans for me. And I'd be like, okay. So literally what I do is I take her phone out and I just put my camera lens there. And it's the same fucking thing. Instead of the phone, it's a $13,000 cinema camera that is using the same fucking $40 ring light. It's the same shit that she would have shot with her phone. But she tells me, if I don't have you do it, I probably will just keep putting it off. So basically all I am is a coach. I'm not necessary at all. I'm like, come on, we can get through this. We only got six more. This guy uh, wants you to tell him his mother was a whore or something, you know, and then we'll do that one. And and then, uh, you know, and then we're down to five. And like, you know, guy number five says that, uh, you know, you're his stepmom and you caught him uh, jerking off to one of your pictures. And, and now you're going to teach him a lesson. And now we're down to number four. And this guy uh, wants you to talk about his big black cock. He might not even be black. We don't know, but it doesn't matter. And, and uh, that's how it goes. He identifies as black. That's all that matters nowadays. Whatever you identify as is absolutely fine. I think this is a great new era of your career, potentially, because I know I am the same way. I could use an OnlyFans coach. I need someone to yell at me. 
Right. There's coaches in every single industry. I could be the Tony Robbins of OnlyFans. Yes. I could totally be that. I have like five customs right now that I just like have not done. Also, because one of them, I feel like this guy like wants the, because he just wants like a 30 second video of me being like, I can't wait to see your OnlyFans content. And I like secretly feel like he's buying these custom videos to use them as like promotional for his own OnlyFans. And I've like tried to like get in touch. I'm like, why are you buying this? Cause like, this is not, and I'm like, and also you can't use this like to promote your own weird content. This might anger you somewhat, but I find a sort of perverse satisfaction whenever I see girls on Twitter complaining that their OnlyFans has been misappropriated and either put on Pornhub or used for another purpose. Cause I'm like, oh, so now you can see what happened to me for the last 15 fucking years with every movie I shot. I'm so sorry it happened to you too. I don't care if they steal my pictures because I look really hot in all of them. I just don't want to be like, I cannot sign my name to promoting something that I do not know about or necessarily approve of. Yeah, but Kate, they're not even using it for their own OnlyFans. It's like a Columbia or like an NYU student who's using it for his indie film. Could oh my be. God. That would be more annoying. I find those people way more annoying. Yeah. Where they're like, you can just do an interview for this. You can just do, right? You can just like be in my documentary and I'm also not going to pay you. And it's like, no, I can't. Do you have any idea how much money it costs for me to drive to Chatsworth? I will not drive there for less than $800. California gas prices, it'll cost you about $800 to get to Chatsworth, so. Yeah, that's true. I should put gas in my car right now. I'm going to Big Bear tomorrow. See, look at you. I know. That comedy life, it's really super glamorous. It is. I've heard good things about Big Bear, so you're going to have to let me know. I know. I'm really stoked. I'm going to go skiing. I have a show tomorrow night up in Big Bear because apparently they don't have coronavirus there or don't care about it. So I was really good for like a year. I'm just going to go do the show now. I've spent the last eight weeks between, or no, uh, 12 weeks at this point, uh, between Georgia and Florida. So, yeah. See, I'm going to Florida next month because I want to live like a regular human again. So It's really nice. No, I was there in October and it was the greatest thing ever. It's, you know, I feel imprisoned in California at this point, you know. I'm going back for a weekend to New York next week. And I'm like, uh, I'm asking my friends. I'm like, hey, let's meet up. Let's go to a bar. They're like, Alice, there's a curfew still. We don't have a curfew here. I mean, things are starting to open up. Like there's limited indoor dining again, which is exciting. I was at the improv the other night, actually. They were doing a mic and uh, they're just, yeah, they're doing it outside. I have no idea how they're doing it because like the other clubs can't, but they're doing it. It was uh, it was very weird. Donald Rawlings was there. He was hosting the mic, which is so weird because he had obviously no idea who anyone was. Right. Because they're like open mic comics. He's like, he has a mic. He's like, who the fuck is next? This fucking guy. I don't know. I'm sure he's fine. And they're just like left. It was hilarious. Well, you know, Chappelle did that thing in Ohio, you know, where he just had a whole like part of a fucking farm set up to do stand up, you know, and, and, but he still got COVID. Yeah. Which, if you watched his last uh, stand up, it was brilliant because. He was talking about all the social justice warriors talking about, well, that's what you get, Dave, for being so irresponsible. He's like, yeah, I got COVID and I got over it, bitch. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) As most people do, you know? They all got it. And then they all blamed Grimes, which is so fucking funny. Because, like, imagine being in a room with, like, Elon Musk, Joe Rogan, Dave Chappelle, (laughs) and Donald Rawlings, and you're the one that gets blamed for giving someone something. Yeah, the lowest, (laughs) by far the lowest on the totem pole, exactly. Like, I think comedy might hate women. I don't know. Oh, I mean, comedians already hate themselves. Why wouldn't they hate women too, right? Even exactly. women comics might, so. 
Oh yeah, no, women comics definitely hate other women comics and just women in general. Lady comics are mean. They're always way meaner than the dude comics because the dudes want to fuck me, so they're always really nice to me. Right, or at the yeah. very least, they want to uh, jerk off while you watch them across the room. I understand. So. Exactly. I did commandeer the hot tub at our cabin tomorrow. I was like, hey, everybody, like I call for sibs on the first half hour so that I can shoot for OnlyFans, but you guys can watch like if you want. That's very kind of you. I know, it's yeah. really nice of me. Yeah. Tit for tat. Yeah, you know. Tit for tit as a, as a... Give them a little thrill. I've always wondered, has anyone actually paid for a tattoo with like a tit? Like, you know, show a tit, you get a tat. Uh, that's funny. They mm. should. Mm. They should allow you to do that. I would get way more tattoos. I would definitely just show people my tits. They're all over the internet. I don't care. That's true. So the, it was, that's the thing. That when something's readily available, the value of it, uh, you know, goes down somewhat, unfortunately, you know. True. Although not to, like, people outside of the industry. It is amazing how excited people still get to, like, meet porn stars. Oh, no. And and if you were to, like, show your breasts to a porn fan in person, it'd be the most exciting thing in the world. Oh, yeah. I'm just saying that, you know, in terms of, like, you know, scrolling on Pornhub or whatever else, you're just like, ah, I've seen that fucking broad's tits before. Next, right. you know, they do that kind of thing. The left one's a little bigger than the right one. <sighs> See, I have a couple friends who have the decency to when I tell them it's like, oh, yeah, I'm hanging out with so and so tonight or like I'm talking to so and so and they happen to be in porn. They have the decency to look afterwards or do a quick Google search like in their own. But then I have a couple friends where they're like, all right, let me look. And then they go on Pornhub and type in Kate Kennedy or, you know, whomever else we've had on the show. Oh, this one. I don't want to see that right now. Kate, you have a great vagina, but like, oh, I don't need to see it right now. I prefer that they do it in front of me so that I can direct them to which ones I, you know, what parts of my body of work I am proud of. There's a couple pornos that I don't look so good in and I don't want anyone to watch those. That's actually a better thing probably for me to do. Just say, all right, let me text them and ask what's the best one. And then that way it makes them feel awkward exactly. because I don't know what to do in that situation when they're pulling up your body of work. Yeah. Like, I don't care that there's naked pictures of me on the internet. I am a little upset that there's so many pictures of me that could pass for, like, illustrations in a discount gynecology textbook <laughs> on the internet. I don't love that. You don't, you know, when you sign that model release, unfortunately, you don't get control over uh, where those pictures go or what those pictures even are, so... I tweeted a joke about that because I've now been retired for like over a year and I tweeted a joke about it like a couple months ago and Mark, my agent, still called me. He's like, you can't say that. That guy's a friend of mine. I was like, well, tell him to take better pictures, Mark. Like, I'm sorry he's your friend. He's terrible at his job. Well, also the other thing that happens, like, you know, obviously I've photographed you. I always look good in your pictures. Well, no, but I'll take like a thousand pictures, right? And sometimes they just sort of randomly, whatever they're, program is that they use they just sort of randomly pull every third picture and put it up and it's like well in this one her eyes are closed in this one she's looking down in this one she's adjusting and like you didn't even have a human being go through them and figure out which ones were the good pictures you lazy motherfuckers but that's porn so i mean this was that specific kind of porn you're gonna know this with the really close-up shots of of razor burn and the opening of your insides grody just so gross so gross every single porn girl i know wishes that those could be scrubbed from the internet yeah but again the people that are taking those pictures are uh clearly oblivious to uh the self-esteem of others so yeah clearly <laughs> kate is porn eventually going to be replaced by ai 
I mean, we're already going to a place where like you can rickroll someone and, you know, put your face on like, uh, oh, like deep Cardi fakes. B. Yeah, I do think it is eventually. Yeah. I feel like eventually they'll just deep fake celebrities over like porn stars whose bodies kind of look like them. And then that's all people will watch. And then there'll probably be a lot of lawsuits about it. And everyone in porn will be like, doesn't it suck when people do things without your consent and permission? Steal your work? Isn't that annoying? And the circle of life continues. Exactly. Oh, every time. Every time. I feel oh, like, man. though, in, in the AI world, like, I still think there's, like, human emotions that can't be replicated by cyborgs. Like disgust? Well, no, that. But I'm like, just in terms of, like... Look, I, I mean, there's some guys that clearly are just like all about, you know, sitting in front of a, a computer. They don't care. They're just going, ah, they just, you know, want to jerk off. But I mean, you know, there's that, there's still that sort of dance that human beings do where, you know, you meet a girl or you meet a guy and you're sort of like this little bit of sort of, you know, nuanced conversation where you're like, is this going somewhere? I don't know. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. And then maybe it goes somewhere and maybe it doesn't. And that's sort of maybe part of the thrill that it could happen, but it might not i hope it does but if it doesn't you know that kind of thing that doesn't exist anymore once you're able to just sort of conjure your ideal sex partner and just get in there and be like ah which i think if that does happen i think that it's just going to escalate the rate at which human beings just disappear from the earth which probably is a good thing in the long run what's amazing to me is we already have like phases when we go through different body types like right now we're in the ass and the 90s we're all boobs and no ass and i'm really curious to see like what ai are we going to dream of of like no we're all into this at this point because i was back back in my space days everyone had fucked up like the hair that they did via their razor blades at home it was all dyed in a million different colors and we all looked like ghosts okay wow way to call me out Mike has his Floby, so he's fine. Hey, listen, my Floby, I swear by that motherfucking thing. If it What's weren't for the Floby. Oh, boy. You got to look it up. What do you mean you don't know what a Floby is? It's the greatest invention is. ever. I think it was invented in like the 70s or something. But the only thing I have left, I don't have any dignity left or any pride or anything like that. Home haircutting system. You're too good for a bowl. No, look, I have an incredible head of hair still, even though I'm on death's door. So, and it grows like really fast. So, I just use that fucking stupid thing. I'm like, zip, zip. And then I use the longer one for the top, zip. We're done. I used to spend like $150 a month getting my fucking haircut because it was $75 like every two weeks to go to some pretentious fucking gay guy. They'd be like, I think really we should think about doing something a little different with the back. I'm like, no, no, no. I just want the same fucking look. And so that's where I'm at. So I've been cutting my own hair with razor blades for the last year. I have gotten a little better at it. I have not gotten more sober while I do it. No. No. I'll be cutting myself with razor blades just to, you know, feel anything. But just to feel something. I do want to go back because I challenge a robot to fake an orgasm like I can. I'm excellent at that. I don't think that AI is nearly advanced enough to do that yet. No, the girls in porn are exceptional at pretending to really enjoy who they're having sex with and what they're doing. I'm amazing at it. Sometimes they just do it so that guys feel better about themselves. I know. It's like, it's a, it's a public service, really. I'm like Mother Teresa of sluts. Mother Teresa was fairly fucking terrible as a human being. That's so true. probably don't compare yourself to her. Did you ever see uh, Christopher Hitchens' documentary, Hell's Angels? <gasps> I love Christopher Hitchens. No, I haven't, but I've read all about her and I love his body of work. Yeah, she's terrible. It's uh, yeah. It's on YouTube. You should watch it. It's amazing. Fine. I'm the Princess Diana of 
sluts. I don't know. I'll come up with a better one. I'm okay with that. You were killed in a tunnel being chased by the paparazzi? I don't understand how that ties in. Or does. Yeah, but I made a lot. Actually, I remember when she died because I remember seeing all the flowers outside and I asked my mom what it was and people, where she was like, people really loved her. And I was like, I hope when I die, people give me that many flowers. <laughs> I still remember that being a really big goal for like five-year-old me. It was like, I want, I want that many flowers when I die. I think for me, the, I loved Candle in the Wind. So it was like, all right, so this is a new jam I'm into at a young age. And under disturbing circumstances. I was 25 when Princess Diana was killed. So uh, I just feel bad about myself now. Thank you. I'm sorry. Your porn <laughs> career started two years before I was born. This is almost over, isn't it? I mean, I know. And I'm approaching 30. I'm about to turn 27. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. I know I'm aging out of porn. I wish I was one of those older guys who are like all like into young girls or all into like, it just makes me feel awkward, you know? Especially, you know, like I always make the same joke about that. When I started in porn, I was 20 and that was cool because the girls were 20. But now I'm 50 and the girls are still 20 and now it's just weird, you know? Also, fucking 18 year olds just feels weird. When you're not 18 anymore. It's weird. I like every time I would have to work with somebody that was like 18 or 19 in porn, I'd just be like, are you okay? I was like, do I need to call your mom? Like, I feel like I should call your mom. Are you okay? I mean, there's there's some girls that are like super young that um, They're great. Are, are clearly old souls or something, but uh, that's not the majority, I don't think. Most 18 year olds are idiots. I had a joke about that that I did for like six months that no one ever laughed at, but I thought it was so fucking funny. And it was this joke about how people that were born after 9-11 can do porn now, which is horrifying, which means that I've fucked people that think about 9-11 the way that I think about the Berlin Wall. (laughs) (laughs) And they don't get any of my jokes and no one laughs, but I'm like, Mr. Gorbachev, tear up this pussy. (laughs) That is pretty fucking funny. (laughs) It only works Uh, with people your age. Yeah. I remember the moon landing. Well, actually, I don't remember. It happened the same year I was born, but whatever. Which was, of course, faked. So, you know, we all know that. But That was just in Burbank. Yeah, no, it was Paramount or something like that. It happened there. But anyway, yeah, I feel like I know that like Axel Braun, famous porn director, most awarded porn director of all time, Axel Braun, I know that he had sort of put down an edict of he would only shoot girls who are 21 and older. And I kind of agree with that. I agree with that too. I've been a big proponent of that for a couple of years. I don't think it'll ever officially change, but I like that. It won't because there's a lot of very perverted older men out there that want to see an 18 year old girl break her father's heart. That's just a thing they want to see. So, you know, I do think though, I think you have to be an adult to be in the adult industry and by an adult, I mean, you have to have had like an adult life. Like you have to, you have to have a job. Like you have to work full time and pay your rent by yourself for like a couple of years. And then when you realize how much that fucking blows and that you can get $800 for just fucking, then you appreciate it a lot more. The problem is, though, is that some of these girls are recruited straight out of fucking high school. They've never had any kind of job and they're sort of fawned over by creepy older men that are like, oh, baby, you're so hot and you're going to be so great. You're going to be such a big name. And there's no consequences for their immaturity anymore. Like they can show up to a set two hours late because, you know, they're the the fresh new face of the month. And and I've seen that happen a million times. And, and, uh, you know, I'm so indifferent to porn that like I don't get excited about anybody like 
that comes in. It's like, oh, this brand new girl. It's like agents will send me like texts. They're like, we just signed this brand new girl. She's 18. She just turned 18. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Do you want to, you know, be the first to get her? I'm like, no, I'm good. No, you can have all the other people, you know, fucking. First destroy her, you know, men- mentally, emotionally. Then maybe if she survives that, send her over. Uh, and then, but sometimes I feel like, you know, because I, I just want to go home. Sometimes I feel like I wish I could shoot them first so they can see how it can be in terms yeah. of like Aww, just showing yeah. up and doing your scene and nobody tries to fuck you in the bathroom and then you just go home, right? With yeah. money. But I feel like a lot of, you know, a lot of these agents, not a lot, there's some very good agents, but there's some, let's say second and third tier agents that are nothing more than glorified pimps. And, and I have a tremendous amount of contempt for them. Yeah. Those guys suck. Nobody ever tried to fuck me in the bathroom ever. That never happened to me. Well, do you, are you disappointed by that, or uh... it sounds like I heard disappointment? It's the same thing as when, like, because like I have a kink for being human trafficked, a big fat one. Love it. Really turns me on. I have tried to get human trafficked like three times, and they always return me. Right. Yeah, that's unfortunate because when you are not even worthy of trafficking, I can't imagine what that does to your self-esteem. That is really awful. It's really terrible. Like I like and they they always return me. They're just like, no, this one's too chatty. This one's this one has self-esteem that I can't seem to meddle with. She was talking her ear off in the back of the van. We're just gonna let her out here. That's enough of that. I think this is uh, exactly, though, what we need to, you know, fight the anti-trafficking disinformation that's out there. We need Kate just to go to every single, like, convention they're at and explain her story. And then once they hear that, they'll say, yeah, you know what? She's made a great argument. You know, this woman can't be trafficked. I would fit so nicely in a wardrobe box from Wayfair. I would be very cozy in there and it's just like poke a couple holes and shit me, I'll be fine. Right. Here's the thing. No one ever takes the pro-trafficking side of the argument, which I, you know, in a civil society, there should be debate. I don't know. Devil's advocate. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's like I got up, I was at a show the other night, and there's this like alt female comic. Ugh, alt comics. Nothing worse than that. <sighs> the worst. What there's is wor- an alt comic? It's an alternative to being funny in most cases. Oh, okay. So like one of the, like the Hannah uh, Netflix special that existed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That. And uh, just like super feminist kind of, you know, dykey chick gets up and she starts talking about how, how there's men that think women shouldn't have rights and all this stuff. And I was like, I, I kind of feel like I shouldn't. I don't know. And she's like, why do you say that? She's like, do you want to be treated like an animal? I was like, yeah, my dog gets to take a nap after breakfast. I totally want to. Her life is so much better than mine. But you know what? There's also the reverse. There's women who feel that men shouldn't have rights. And you know what? If we can allow one to exist, why not the other? I just feel like I personally should be allowed to, you know, live in someone's house and be fed and petted and taken care of. And I will sign away my right to vote. I I don't need that. It's fine. Honestly, it's inconvenient. I don't like going to the post office anyways. No, your vote doesn't count anyway. Who cares? You know? Yeah, I live in California. Yeah. It really doesn't count. I find, though, that a lot of the alt comedians are, you know, it's just sort of the same. You're always going to hear the, the cat's phrases. You're always going to hear about toxic masculinity. Oh, You're God. always going to hear about, um, you know, those 
things that conjure that immediate <clears throat> outpouring of like, yeah, we're with you and blah, blah. You know, it's like, it's like Twitter on a stage and it's really sad to watch. Literally Twitter on a stage. Comedy is unfair to women. Really? Because not if you're a hot woman. I'm the only girl here. I'm so much hotter in comedy than I was in porn. It's great. All of those guys are in love with me. It's the best. They let me do anything I want. I got up at the improv as like the third person and I was late. And then I went up and I like got up. I was like, if you're wondering why I'm up here and you're not, it's because I have a vagina. Yeah, no. And that's true because if, you know, they always talk about the patriarchy, but I mean, there's another side of the patriarchy and that is that men are no longer capable of rational thought when there's a vagina near them. I mean, yeah, some people are misogynist for sure, but most men are just like, whatever you want. Yes, of course. There's a chance you might have sex with me, maybe somewhere in my imagination down the road. So, you know, do whatever you want. You can have my table. You can have my spot at the improv. You can do whatever you want. We were doing this podcast the other day and I had to leave. Remember, Alice, because someone brought me donuts to my house. (laughs) I was like, I'm really sorry. I have to go downstairs and get these donuts now. That's amazing. No one just willingly brings me anything. People just bring them. I have so many comedy store hoodies. I have this hoodie that was given to me by um, Joanna Angel and her, uh, this is their whiskey brand. Oh, nice. Dooms. I didn't realize she had a whiskey brand. Oh, yeah, they do. It's great. It's really good whiskey. And they even personally monogrammed it. So it says Lil Q. Remember when I did my hip hop video was Lil Q? So that was very sweet of them. Oh, my God, Alice, if you haven't seen that either, you really need to because it's great. The last time I saw a hip hop video, there was actually one shot at my house. And it's actually pretty amazing. It's a called, and I'm not even kidding when I say this, the title of it is Show Me What That Mouth Do. And I'm going to find it and I'm going to link it into show notes because it has some fantastic lines in it. Like, uh, let me show you what this water Pokemon's about. Like, that is a line. Wow. Yeah. It was something when we were shut down completely and I didn't know if I'd ever go back to making porn. I wrote a, uh, a hip hop song under an alternate identity, little Q called I Used to Make Porno. And uh, Aaron, Joanna's husband, small hands, Aaron did the music for it. And then we shot a video for it and it was a lot of fun. And then a month or so later, I had to go back to making porno. So now I want to do a new one. I want to do a follow-up to that one called uh, I Just Want to Go Home. That's going to be my new uh, hip hop one. Cause truly like tomorrow I have to shoot, um, let's bang the babysitter volume six. Oh, Hey, I was in one of those. You were. And, uh, yeah. And tomorrow is just going to be, plus I got, I literally, I, I got vaccinated today. So I have a feeling that tomorrow I'm going to be really sick on set and I'm going to have to get through fucking four scenes of people pretending to fuck their babysitters. And, and, and I'll be thinking the whole time how I just want to go home. And that will provide inspiration for me to finally do the sequel to my uh, my last track. So. so see, you have that inspiration in your life again that you needed, which is great. Also, I only babysat like one kid and he was only like two years younger than me. So like, I don't even know why I was like, all we did was like make popcorn and watch MTV Cribs. And now obviously we're both in our twenties and he's very good looking. And I'm kind of like, Hey, what's up? Not to be creepy, but like, remember when I used to babysit you and we would watch baseball and I pretended to be into it. There's never any actual, obviously for legal reasons, there's never any actual children in these babysitter films. One can only assume that the children are uh, either dead from neglect or uh, deaf because there's a lot of screaming and carrying on from the babysitter as she's having sex with the boyfriend that's not supposed to be there. And I hope we don't get caught. 
and the kids are asleep. We have to be quiet. But then five minutes later, it's like, oh, my God, oh, my God. It's like, those fucking kids aren't asleep anymore. As a matter of fact, they're going to need therapy in five years because of what they're hearing right now. So that's never right. actually written into those movies, but I think it should be. I did one one time where, like, the guy who the dad of the kids, I guess, like came in and I was like tidying up the nursery. So I was like bending down and moving stuffed animals and, and shit. And uh, I was like, where are the kids? Mr. Venture. Like I'm supposed to know that that's literally my job. And he's like, they're with my wife. And then it's like, well, wait, why am I here? I don't know who directed this scene, but you guys probably have seen this clip. Um, and I've probably even mentioned it on the show before where, Tommy Pistol walks into a room and he's like, oh, where's my kids? Oh, and I shot that. Yeah. Oh my God, that was yours? That's Tommy <gasps> Pistol's kids were taken away by Child Protective Services. <laughs> oh. Uh, oh, so brilliant. Where are the kids? He's like, I don't know, some people came by and uh, picked them up and it's like, what do you mean people? I don't know. They had like a shirt on. It said something like uh, CPS or something. He's like, you let child protective services take my son. Oh, it was so funny. That needs to be written more into porn. I know we have the stepsisters. I know we have the babysitters, but I think more jobs need to be represented. Like when was the last time a telemarketer was fucked in the porn, not fucking someone over? That's fun with the earpiece. Yeah. Are you sure I can't interest you in a free trial of weight loss supplements? <sighs> exactly. Weight loss oh. supplements. Debt collectors, miners, roadkill uh, collectors, slaughterhouse workers. Mike, we've got them all. Like, you, you need all of these people fucked. I feel like slaughterhouse workers especially are underrepresented. In yeah, which is such a lame thing because Kink already has all those extra meat hooks that they're just not doing anything with. You know, but this is the thing. As porn becomes more and more woke, I think we'll we'll have more inclusivity as it pertains to these uh, non-traditional jobs being represented by the porn community. Where is our DoorDash driver porn? Where's DoorDash dri driver porn? Where's, uh, I mean, there's a lot of things, you know, like uh, where's homeless porn? There's more homeless people in LA than people that actually have homes anymore. They should be represented as well. Yeah, I just had to dodge one of those shopping cart guys as I was pulling into my building. And never mind how much cheaper it is to shoot in a tent or a box than it is to rent one of these stupid fucking porno mansions to shoot in, you know? Killing two birds with one stone, saving money and representing the homeless community effectively in the pornographic film industry. I may or may not be shooting some pornos at like an underground comedy club coming up here. Possibly. They said they would rent it to me for like $200 for the day. Wow. It's like, not, I know, right? That's like nothing. I'm like, yes, absolutely. Now there are no showers, but that's fine because towels aren't provided anyways. So you bring your own towels, you know? Yeah. I actually did see recently, uh, I was watching some old Shark Tanks and they had like a, a portable shower, you know, that you could just fill oh, yeah. up and buy and take on the road with you. Those I think thing. that's not a bad idea to have now, you know, if you're going to just, A lot of the homeless know, people have them. Yeah. That's very much a thing. There's a homeless encampment on the highway embankment across from my apartment that I like can see every day. And at this point, this guy, his tent is bigger than my apartment. At this point, he's like playing the worst game of Minecraft I've ever seen. He's like terraforming the embankment. There are stairs. There's like levels. Yeah, he's going to have uh, like an office and he's going to. He has a whole workshop where he fixes stolen bikes. Yeah. No, and there's so many bikes too. They have like, it's like a combination of mental illness, drug addiction, and a hoarding thing <laughs> all in one when you see that. It's like, okay, I have a tent, but I also have eight bikes, most of which don't have wheels or handlebars, 
and I have uh, assorted items that I just keep in bags. And then, oh, and then there's my neighbor. Pretend you're in Denmark. They have a lot of fucking bikes. There you go. Yeah, maybe we're getting better about alternative transportation solutions also. Like if I was homeless, which let's be honest, I probably will be before the end of the year. But if I was homeless, I think I'd want less stuff, you know, because I need to be flexible. I need my plans could change because I'm homeless. Right. So do I maybe like, uh, you know, somebody like takes sympathy on me like, hey, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to put you up for the night in a hotel so you can clean yourself up. And I'm like, awesome. Just Wait there while I gather up my fucking eight broken bicycles and my fucking infested mattress that's just here. Yeah, I mean, like, uh-huh. I bring all that with me. That's crazy. Giant teddy bear. I see a lot of really sad giant teddy bears on the side of the road. That's always extra creepy. You know, this dude has like electricity and like there's another one that's like his neighbor that has legitimate like walls and a door. I don't know where they got the door, but it's a real door. We were shooting downtown not too long ago. And um, there's a literally right around the loft where we're shooting. It's like the whole other city of homeless people. And this guy in his tent was blasting this music so fucking loud. And so we're like, ah, fuck man, you know, we can't shoot because we could hear it. So we're like, somebody has to go out and bribe that guy. And then as we're discussing who's going to go out and try and bribe the scary homeless guy, it occurred to me, where the fuck is he getting electricity from? How is he even playing music this loud? And I'm like, now they have, it used to be like homelessness was sort of like, well, I'm homeless now, but I hope to one day have things like sanitation and electricity. Now, apparently they have that being homeless. So what's the incentive to not be homeless anymore? I don't know. Did you see this in Echo Park today? Cause they're like kicking them all out. Like uh, Mitchell Farrell's going to go in and like put a fence around the park for like cleaning and repairs. And a bunch of people are super mad about it. And it's like, it really needs to be clean. There's needles everywhere. Like they have to clean it. And like, then the homeless people were like, well, we don't even want the whole park. We just want half the park, but we need more space. We want half the park. You can't just have half of a city park. I can't just walk into the Getty and be like, I live here now. You actually probably could. At this point, I think you probably could. Yeah. In LA, uh, you know, this is the thing I, I like to consider myself traditionally liberal, right? But I can't handle the level of liberalism that's taking place right now as it pertains to things that just should not be acceptable anymore. And they're acceptable just for the woke points that you score by being an advocate for those types of things that should absolutely not be a thing. There used to be a time when if you put a tent up in front of a building, the police would come and say, you can't put that tent there. Right. But now if you do that, um, you're homeless shaming or you're not compassionate or we need more resources for these people. Not recognizing that um, in some cases people are homeless because that's, you know, I always say this about my sister because, you know, I grew up very white trash and, you know, we were very poor. And I'm like, you know, you could give my sister a million dollars and she'd be broke in a month because she'd spend it all on fucking psychic readings and lottery tickets. There's just some people that is their potential right there. And so equality of opportunity, absolutely. Equality of outcome, no. And it seems like that's the new form of liberal thought now is that everybody has to succeed in exactly the same way. It's not possible. Human beings are different, you know? And some people are stupid and some people are really smart and some people are motivated and some people are lazy and some people are whatever, you know? And it transcends any sort of race, creed, color argument that you want to have too. 
Also, it's houselessness now, not homelessness, which I don't, I, I, that seems like a very pedantic. Yeah, of course it is. Difference. Yeah. I'm sure the homeless care. Yeah. Well, the homeless are, you know. But I actually, I used to live in a commune. So there were people there where, I mean, I'm on the left and then there were people there. It was like, oh God, what's going on? You make me look like a conservative. I used to consider myself left and then the left just moved like really far away, you know? So it's unfortunate. Yeah. I remember like years ago having to explain to them, it's like, hey, I just came back from Morocco and there's a lot of human rights issues going on. Like you see women and literally it's 110 degrees outside, dry heat. It's fucking miserable. And they're wearing niqabs um, and they're like, well, maybe it's their choice. And I'm like... Maybe it's a human rights issue. Maybe it's a human rights issue. Maybe when maybe when you live in a country where if you don't wear that, someone beheads you. Maybe that's not a choice at that point. Maybe it's and then if you even want to suggest that it is my choice, um, maybe there's a little bit of Stockholm syndrome going on in that that you actually believe now because you have this overwhelming cultural sort of you know what the repercussions are for you if you if you step outside of that lane that you come to embrace it. I love this. I love the burqa. I love all of the things I can't do because men think I'm subhuman and I can't drive by myself or look at another man without, you know, an honor killing taking place. Like, I'm sorry. I'm getting a little turned on over here. I would love to live in a culture where I'm not allowed to drive. That'd be ideal for me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Kate here is like finding out all the perks. Look, I've gone on record saying I would wear a burqa as long as I could live in a cold climate and it would be made out of a down comforter because then I could just walk around in my blankets all day. That's my dream. You should do a YouTube commercial for that. You know, Kate Kennedy and it's with you on the burqa and everything like oppression has its perks. That would be a great slogan for you. you Really comfy. You don't have to wash your hair. Nobody can see it. You don't have to do your makeup. Nope. Does you don't even have to wear underwear. Who's going to know? Amazing. That sounds awesome. I could wear whatever. I could just be a slob all the time and nobody would be able to tell. And any occasion, you only need the one outfit. Like you don't have to go through your closet and be like, I look fat in that. No, that never happens anymore. You're just like one size fits all. I look like a fucking sand dune. I'm good to go. We have now figured out the new recruitment video for like all these white women who are like fleeing to the Middle East to join ISIS. Yeah. It's Kate Kennedy. Kate Kennedy, okay. clearly. I really think we should run with that slogan. It's a- Someone please cancel me already. Long story short, like I have a friend, uh, her name's Yasmin uh, Muhammad. She wrote a fantastic book about uh, actually growing up in a culture like this, where, you know, basically from the time she was six, if she didn't know her surahs, her prayers, she would be like flipped upside down, hung, and then like her feet beaten. So that was a thing. She was even married off to one of Osama bin Laden's right-hand men. So... And uh, here's the kicker. This all happened in Canada. I'm not surprised by that. When she was in high school, she also uh, brought up all the abuse, the physical abuse she had at home from all of this. And they went all the way to court where the judge said, you know what? It's their culture. I'm not even joking. Well, no, because Canada, look, I'm Canadian, so I have a little bit of insight into this, but there have been uh, these movements where, particularly under Trudeau, where Sharia law should be allowed in areas of just pure civil matters, not criminal, of course, but in civil matters. And I'm always like, well, that's a very slippery slope. First of all, you're talking about assimilation. You're talking about a cohesive society. And now there's a separate set of laws 
for these people because you don't want to offend them because, my God, offending anybody is the worst thing you can do because you'll be, first of all, you'll be labeled a racist immediately for even suggesting that Sharia law is barbaric and a Bronze no, Age. It's, it's uh, not a race. You know, no, I know. But that's what also I, I found. I remember when Trump first got elected and uh, there was a lot of confused woke signals on Twitter, which I found very amusing. You know, they talked about how Trump was like very anti-trans and anti-Muslim because the Muslim ban and everything else. And I remember some girl on Twitter saying, I support trans rights and I support Muslims. And I thought to myself, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of Muslims throw trans people up. Not, you know, not the majority, fine. But you can go back and read some, you know, go look at some Sam Harris uh, YouTube videos to sort of see his concentric circle theory as it pertains to extremism. Um, but yeah, a lot of the people that you're just woke virtue signaling about will throw the trans people off a fucking building, you know? So oh, yeah. um, choose your battles there, you know? You know, most people have this idyllic version of like what Islam is. It's like, no, it doesn't conform to Western values unless like maybe you were brought up in a household where like this is your version and you were born in the Western culture. You know, if you're someone who comes from the Middle East, like when I, it was so fucking eye-opening to me. I went to an ex-Muslim meetup because I just, I wanted to learn more. I wanted to learn more about Islam. I wanted to learn more about the belief and what these people went through. I'm not even kidding. They were like, hey, yeah, you know how like in the United States you have like 10% of your culture or whatever believes like the earth is only 4,000 years old and you guys flooded and all shit? I was like, yes. They're like, okay, flip it. It's 90%. I'm like, what? And then they had to continue explaining that to me because I couldn't fucking believe it. And again, this is not a stereotype, just to be clear to our listeners, of people who are brought up in the Western world and whatnot. But this is like when you're talking to people who are from the Middle East who truly believe in, you know, the tenets of Islam or like the fundamentalist version, just like if you talk to someone who believes in a fundamentalist version of Christianity and evangelical Christianity, it's no fucking different. I'm in a bunch of snark subreddits about those people. It's so fun. I'm agnostic at best. Most of the time I consider myself the atheist, but you can't, you know, it's completely acceptable to make fun of the absurd beliefs of Christians. But when you make fun of the absurd beliefs of, of Muslims, um, you're a racist, you're a bigot, you're intolerant, you're all these things. It's all insanity, you know, like it, all of Judaism, the whole thing is just crazy, right? All religions. And I had this very eye-opening experience on a flight. I was actually flying to Toronto and the guy next to me, was uh, a Muslim guy. We were just talking about stuff. We were talking about like music. We were talking about, you know, what bands do you like? This thing. The guy's like, oh, I love, you know, we're about the same age. He was like, oh, I love Guns N' Roses. And I'm like, oh yeah, I grew up on all that, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then the subject came to whether we had kids. And, you know, he told me that he has two daughters. And I said, yeah, I, I have a, a daughter. And then we were talking about, well, how are you bringing her up? And I'm like, well, she's at the time, she was like 20. So I'm like, well, she's already been brought up. So, you know, whatever. And he then went into this whole thing about his greatest fear was that one of his daughters would be a lesbian. Like that was his big fear because he said the Quran says, and he was like, all of a sudden it went from talking about welcome to the fucking jungle to these verses from the Quran about how he did. And I'm like, well, if my daughter was a lesbian, I'd be like 100% okay with that because I don't care, you know? And then he was trying to explain to me why... Christianity has been westernized to the point where there's no more moral values in it. It's just sort of, you know, whereas Islam is, we take this as gospel or as, as, you know, then the rest of the flight was a lecture about the fucking Quran. And I'm like, 
this is fucking weird. Until we talked about religion, I thought this guy was like me. I thought we we're like totally cool on the same page. But it's so weird that people, when they're that much into religion, whichever religion it is, in this particular yeah. case, it was Islam, obviously, but they turn out to be insane people. Yeah. Doesn't matter if you're Orthodox Judaism. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, uh, you know, into Islam, evangelical Christianity, Seventh-day Adventist, you name it. You go hardcore into religion and it's the same crazy. Some of them are just nuts, though. I mean, like Mormons. Come on. Like, that's just, shit. That's just something somebody made up. I mean, there's... Like, recently made up. Like, not even that long ago. It's the same with, like, the Scientologists. I forget who has a joke about this, but they're like, your guy's name is Ron. But what's the Mormon guy? What's the guy that fu- founded Joseph the Mormon? Smith. Oh, yeah, Joseph exactly. Smith. Yeah. Yeah. That's like that the most pedestrian them. name for a fucking religious leader. You know, at least we had like, you know, Jesus, Mohammed, you know what I mean? Fucking Joseph Smith. It's a guy I just fucking, the guy that just checked me out at Ralph's. Come on. It's crazy. I'm so amused, though, that there's so many Mormons hired by the FBI and CIA because Mormons, they know multiple languages and they keep clean on their drug and alcohols. Uh, So a lot of them are hired by the, you know, federal bureaus, which is just amazing to me. They're also just generally clean. Like, they just always look so scrubbed. And I will say, Salt Lake City has some of the hottest women in the whole world. <laughs> I love going down to Temple Square. They're so pretty. They're all, like, tall and Scandinavian, and, like, their teeth are really good. And they just look like they drink milk every day. And I'm like, oh, Maybe they can be it. sister wives at some point. Oh, I have such a sister wife thing. I also look cute in those dresses. And I look good with braids in my hair. I've tried to I've tried to get into that too. They uh, do not accept outsiders. No, they don't. I love that show Big Love that was on HBO years ago. It was such a great show. I got like obsessed with it and I read like every single book by like every single ex-Mormon sister wife for like a year. That was like all I read and I was like obsessed with it. I literally know everything about them. I like know all of the families. I know where the town is. I know the Mexican ones because some of them went down to Mexico. Yeah, literally all of them. I wrote a screenplay about it. Here's a question, though. Like, is a sister wife life really that bad? Because, like, especially if you're bi, it's like, you know what? Then, like, you've got options. That's number one. I I don't think the religion sanctions, like, lesbianism amongst the sister wives. It does not. God damn it. Okay, I was trying to find a silver lining here. Now you really have a patriarchal situation where you just have one guy that just gets, like, five fucking (sighs) chicks that he can, like, switch to a different one every night. But they only get to fuck him. That doesn't seem fair. Okay, no, that's fair, Mike. Yeah. No, yeah. we did a movie. You can look it up. I'm sure it's on Pornhub called Mormon Orgy, which was actually really funny. Um, at one point during the scene, Tommy Pistol spontaneously takes the Book of Mormon and starts jerking off Aaron <laughs> with the Book of Mormon. <laughs> I, I've lost control of this movie, clearly. So that man's improv skills cannot be controlled. He's the best. He's so great. I went to because he was in my gangbang for kink one time. And I had tickets to go see Jim Jeffries that night at the Roxy. And so it was like a last minute thing. So I'm like down in downtown LA and it's like eight o'clock in the morning. It was like literally Mark called me and was like, hey, can you do a five guy anal gangbang in an hour? And I was like, I'm up. I'll be there. And so I like got there and I was like, hey guys, I'm super stoked. It's be really fun. But like, I do have a hard out tonight. 
Like, I'm going to go see Jim Jeffries at the Roxy. And all of the guys were like, wait, that sounds really fun. Can we come? And I was like, I have an extra ticket. You guys want to come after the gangbang? And so me and Tommy went to go see Jim Jeffries at the Roxy after our gangbang. It was very fun. That's a, that's, I've never, I've hung out with Tommy socially, but I've never been gangbanged by him or anyone else. So, you know. It was a very fun day. It's a great, and I'm just sitting there. There's a picture of me just sitting there like, <laughs> it's like really tiny surrounded by five huge dudes it was so great I loved it that foot thing by the way Alice is called a strapado and it hurts Eesh. wait what's called a strapado when they hit the bottom of your feet Ow. it's called a strapado and it hurts oh there's a lot of pain receptors on the bottom of your feet I would imagine yeah mm-hmm. especially because they only hit the like inside like the instep you don't hit the heel you hit the instep because that's where it hurts it's very fun yeah, I've never quite understood that part of porn. Like, it's a part that I've never really delved into, except when I was really um, young. When I first started, I worked for a fetish guy who turned a girl into a table. And then they put like a big glass thing on top. She was like ball gagged and hog tied, and they made her a table. And then I was always wondering, I'm like, okay, now what happens? And he's like, nothing. That's it. A, guy, a guy came in, put his feet up on her, started reading the newspaper. And I'm like, Somebody's jerking off to this? I'm like, oh yeah, it's huge. I'm like, okay, I've uh I'm a little more naive than I thought. I had no idea that a, you could turn a female into a table, but uh Oh, you can turn them into a bunch of stuff. Pillars, lamps, ottomans, any kind of coffee table really. Chairs, honestly, if they're big enough, you have to have some thigh strength for that. I'm just a big fan of uh, missionary in the dark. You know, I don't like if you were going to have an intimate uh, experience with me at no time, would you have to worry about whether or not I would turn you into a table? You know, your biggest uh, concern should be, is he going to cry at some point? So, you know, it's a different situation, but uh, you know, I honestly, it scratches the same itch for me. I prefer to cry at some point. Yeah. I guess now I, I have new goals of like when I say surprise me, now I want to know. It's like, oh, I'm going to end up being a table and just not fucked. Could be a lamp, like she said. You don't know. Uh, right? There was that guy that like put them in the crazy hamster wheel thingies and then had them as ponies for his little go kart. That was fun. He died a couple years ago. RIP. That's unfortunate. He was very old. He had, a, I think he had a pretty great life. Well, I'm sure. That's the thing. A lot of people have, have made a, an assumption that because I've worked in porn so long that I must have this vast knowledge of all these fetishes or I might be, I might be actually into some of that stuff. And I'm like, nah, the only thing porn's done is make me very, very pedestrian in terms of any desire I might have. You know what I mean? So it's like, that's why I always love it when anti-porn people are like, oh, it turns you into a sex addict. It turns you into this. I'm like, no, no, it does not turn you into a sex addict. I can promise you that. It uh, Sometimes you almost want to do anything else other than think about you're just like i just saw people fuck all day now i don't want to think about people fucking for a couple of days if i can you know get by that so i didn't have sex for like six months after i retired i like retired and i was like i have no interest in sex with anyone i was just like i none i'm barely getting back into it where i'm like starting to like date again and like hook up with people because i didn't date anyone the whole time i was in porn because that was part of why i got into porn because they have to bang you yeah they do you don't have to be funny or cute. They are getting a check. So there's very little that I have to put in effort-wise to that situation, which was great for me. And then I didn't know how to do that because I spent like all my 20s getting banged by people that were being paid to have sex with me, which was, again, so convenient. But yeah, no, I did not have sex with anyone for like six months afterwards. 
Well, I was married for uh, over 20 years, so I know very well what it's like to not have sex for a very long time. So, you know, I can relate to that. Then I was single. Then there was some sex. And then I was just like, ah, you know, I don't I think I built this up a little too much yeah. because now I'm just, you know, I'm fine with just going home and, you know, watching Netflix and making a drink. So. So you guys can get, uh, if you've enjoyed this so far, you guys can see the entire unedited version over at uh, patreon.com slash two girls on mic. Also go to two girls on mic.com, hit the support button, support the show, support our poor editor and everything we put him through every single week. Uh, but Mike, thank you so much for coming on. And I'll definitely hit you up when I'm in LA. But where can our listeners find you and or your work where it's not being pirated? Oh, well, it's mostly being pirated, but you can go, uh, I shoot for Zero Tolerance. You can go to ZeroTolerance.com. I shoot for Sweetheart Video, which is part of Mile High, so you can go there. I shoot for fucking Burning Angel, so BurningAngel.com. And there's a lot of people I shoot for. I shoot a lot of porn, but those are the main ones. And of course, follow me on Twitter because uh, some nights I get very intoxicated and tweet things that I uh, regret uh, greatly the next morning but he doesn't delete them we stand an accountable king it's a cop out if you delete them i mean it's like somebody already screenshot him anyway who the fuck you you know what are you trying to prove here you know so who the hell is that person who's screenshotting them in their phone and waiting for that one day for them to drop that's the sjw's those are the ones out there waiting for anything they can use against you at any time in any place Oh, you got a job working for Teen Vogue? Remember this? And then that's it. <laughs> forgiveness doesn't exist. I know. No forgiveness. No growth. No evolution. Only complete and utter uh, servitude to the woke uh, ideology. It's unfortunate. We want people to change, but we actually don't. Because if we accepted people change, then we won't hold their past against them, even if it was a decade ago. And then we lose a tremendous amount of our personal power that we believe that we have because we're those people. So it's yeah. unfortunate. Kate, where can our listeners find you? You have a show. I do. You can listen to my podcast, Cam Girl Chronicles, presented by I'm Live, where I interview cam girls from all over the world about their crazy stories. It's very fun and they're very sexy. You can find it at camgirlpod.com. It's also available anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at the OG Kennedy, as in the original gangster like the dead president. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at the PG Kennedy because it's safe for work. And you can subscribe to my OnlyFans if you would like to keep the lights on uh, because comedy does not pay. So you can find that at theogkennedy.com. Amazing. And again, guys, you could find us at Two Girls on Mike. Make sure to subscribe, leave a show review. We always give a shit about those. Sometimes we don't on the rare occasion, but most of the time we like them and it makes us feel better about ourselves, which we need. Follow me, Alice, at Rational Blonde. Follow the show at all places at TGM Podcast and listen to us again next week. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.